In the internet right now, there's a massive battle going on between centralization and decentralization. Do something that works, learn from it, and then do something else. When we are threatened by an external it's part of the community that decides what we're going to look like. Therefore, we think it's, it's the best reflection Know of the Know that the obstacles are only a day. Tomorrow will be a new day and that obstacle won't be as bad. Or maybe it'll be worse than the day what after. What we set out to do with Hackerloon <laughs> and all of the sites is how we can reflect the internet. The yeah. merit should be the yeah. story. We're people that itself. built a company out of iteration and did not set out to make one of the most popular tech blogs. <laughs> and I don't mean to like say you should take down Amazon. I'm just saying you should think about what you own and what you don't own. In your data, I think long term... I'm going to say how much time reading did you create? You maybe you did one post and people spent, you know, if it takes five minutes to read and a hundred people read it, that's five what you do minutes of reading and six hours. happens and we learn from, that's what works. <laughs> but the internet is very consolidated right now and it's going to change. It's going to start, I think, with the blockchain and people looking at breaking out and breaking these infrastructures. Like, look at Hello Hackers, this is Ling Dao Smook, CEO of Hacker Noon. Just wanna jump in here to say that this is a live episode recorded from the University of Colorado in Boulder. We were invited by one of our contributing writers, Nathan Schneider, to his class, Disruptive Entrepreneurship, and also to the conference Conscious Capitalism in Boulder. We apologize in advance for any baby noise because our daughter, Nora, aka the real CEO of Hacker Moon, was also invited. Without further ado, listen up. You guys want to be on the Hacker Noon podcast? Alright. <laughs> so they are the publishers of Hacker Noon, which is one of the kind of big and growing tech publications right now. And they've been building this on, on the Medium platform. And I think doing this in a really interesting way, contending as a small business with a much bigger rule setter in the form of Medium. And charting course for new kinds of publications. Can you just introduce yourselves a little bit about where you're coming from and how Hacker Noon got started? Yeah, first of all, guys, I want to say you guys are lucky to have a teacher like this. I wish I had more teachers like this when I was in school. He's good. They call you Professor Nathan? No. <laughs> what he meant is having people from actually doing the business, like talking to you guys, I think will make the theories and whatever classes you're going through a lot clearer. And like we're a case study almost of what you guys are probably looking to. And in the internet right now, there's a massive battle going on between centralization and decentralization. You know, because the more you decentralize something, the more that someone will centralize it and make money. But backing up with us, we actually started as a marketing firm and we serve startups and we do six month contracts and we'd split between equity and cash. And then in doing this, we started to create a bunch of blogs. We were like, oh, we need our own blog. It was Art Plus Marketing was the first one. And we started to get top contributors like Craig from Craigslist and we were building a top medium and we thought Medium would be the solution to supplanting WordPress, which powers 70% of sites on the internet today. So we built 15 blogs and they started to grow. Then we moved them onto our own domains, still powered with the CMS of Medium, and Hacker Noon started to really grow. So we started to level off all of our marketing clients and just keep feeding Hacker Noon and putting our work, a bunch of part-time labor into it. It became the business, you know, and that from AMI publications, we're winding down all these marketing clients, we're winding down all of our other sites, and our only focus is Hacker Noon. So we, we're people that 
built a company out of iteration and did not set out to make one of the most popular tech blocks. Like we're people that look at like do something that works, learn from it, and then do something else. And that's more about how we think. We don't. We think it's very pompous when people come out and they say we're going to save this, we're going to save the world, scooters for everyone, free bikes, whatever it is they're saying. Just like the idea of going out and setting out and saying this is our mission and that's what we're about. Well, let's see what you do. What you do is what you're about, and what happens and what we learn from that's what works. Yeah. So the way we gain revenue from Hacker Noon is through this thing called the weekly sponsorship package. So I joined the company full time um, August of 2017, and about two months after that, we we launch uh, our weekly sponsorship campaigns after the marketing clients have been leveled up. Now, what this package is, it is a way for us to basically have a livelihood on the site that we spent so many hours on without intruding any personal space of the readers that we value a lot. Think of this weekly sponsorships as like a billboard. You know, you we don't want to advertise a shoes like a personalized pair of shoes that you like were looking on a site and then you look on another site you said see the exact same pair of shoes. This is billboards. We advertise across the site and. Anyone who sees the site can choose whether or not to engage uh, with that. Have you read Hacker Noon before? Boom. <laughs> 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 yeah, so we're publishing about 20 tech professionals a day. We have a bunch of college kids contributing to the site too. Uh, to contribute, it's as simple as stories at hackernoon.com. We get published on our site and an editor will review it. But now what's happening with us is the platform we build on medium.com is saying, you can't run third-party sponsorships. And they have ads atop our site as a third-party to us. So we think it's like they're stealing our livelihood, they're changing the terms, so we have to move off. Now, as a small business, to go from relying on a bunch of free tech to not relying on a bunch of free tech is going to take a lot of tech labor. So we're in a spot where we, we're growing as a business, but we don't have enough to turn around and hire three people. You know, hire three software engineers. You know what software engineers make? Like, it's a, it's a lot. You know, it's a great job to have. If you guys are considering it, I would say double down and learn to code. So we decided whenever we had this threat, we looked at either selling the business or raising money to hire people. So a lot of small businesses will run into this decision. If you receive a threat and a larger company changes your terms, you're really pretty powerless. If the University of Colorado turned around to you tomorrow and said, you know, this year we had a pretty bad financial year. If you want to go to college next quarter, the tuition's double. What would you do? You know, what would you do if your livelihood was taken away? So in, I imagine you would probably speak up about it. You'd probably look for a way to get more money. You'd probably fight it. Um, but they're saying, no, that's the tuition. So you have to go elsewhere. You know, if that happened and you guys all mobilized and said to the president, University of Colorado is crazy, you know, they'll probably lower it again. And so we're reaching out to the community to raise money. So on Monday, we launched our equity crowdfunding campaign. And uh, for background on that, you know, this equity crowdfunding wasn't possible until the 2015 Jobs Act and allow private companies to sell shares to anyone in the world. Previously, pi private companies could only sell equity shares to accredited investors. And that means people that are worth over a million dollars and have are making over 100000 a year, and a little higher than that, but that's like the rough range. So this law uh, kind of opened up tons of deals to any individual citizen. So we're tapping into that law, and we're doing an equity crowdfunding campaign, and right now you can buy shares in Hacker Noon. And since Monday, we've sold... Three, uh, $330,000, so we a third of the way to a million dollars, which is the maximum according to the regulation crowdfunding. We've never raised money this fast, but the community is resonating. It's unfair that tech companies that are large can just change the terms and you have all these small businesses dependent on them. 
And we're not even depending on a large tech company. Imagine if your business depends on search traffic from Google and Google changes their algorithm. You suddenly can't sell any furniture or whatever you're selling. The, the, the top down, if you start to look at how the internet actually works, if you imagine America as a whole thing, 100%, you're gonna have 49% of that land is Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Facebook. Facebook. Oh yeah, I forgot about them. <laughs> but the internet is very consolidated right now and it's going to change. There, it's, it, and it's going to start, I think, with the blockchain and people looking at breaking out and breaking these infrastructures. Like, if you look at Amazon, imagine if you actually owned your data and you said to Amazon, Amazon's big competitive advantage, they have the Prime subscription, but they also know everything about you and what you buy. So if you buy a bunch from Amazon, they have this huge competitive advantage of what you actually want. If you could go to another e-commerce site and say, log in with Amazon and give all the data I've given Amazon, all the search results, all the things I bought, that company would be able to surface goods for you just as good as Amazon. But Amazon won't give up that data. So there's, and that's just one example, and I don't mean to like say you should take down Amazon. I'm just saying you should think about what you own and what you don't own. And your data, I think, long term, you should fight to own it. Hey, hackers. Do you have a timely tech story you want to get published? Maybe you recognize the way certain systems trend, affecting our everyday lives, or have a vision of the future for the blockchain technology. Maybe you're on the field of play and know what it takes to make a great team, or how to remain agile in today's competitive, tech-rich environment. Share your expertise with the community at large on Hacker Noon. Email us, stories at hackernoon.com, and a real human will review your submission. So tell us about... Tell us uh, some of the backstory here. Tell us a bit about the steps when you saw Hacker Noon starting to take off and you were starting to pivot and trying to make decisions about where to direct your energy. What kind of feedback loops were you working with? What kind of information were you working with about what success was looking like? What kind of effects you were having? What ways you were able to measure your audience? We were just talking about attention economies. What informed the choices? Money? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Um, we did not make money from the sites until the weekly sponsorship. So what we set out to do with Hacker Noon and all of the sites is how we can reflect the internet with the text, the content that we own. And if you look at journalism as a whole and all the other sites, what you see is a bunch of people deciding what the ed editorial will look like. So they will have a team and then they will decide today to break X news and today to have people think X thoughts. For us, we have zero editorial power. It's c the community that decides what we're going to look like. Therefore, we think it's it's the best reflection of the internet. We have 7,000 yeah, contributing really, we really writers. We really saw the rise of cryptocurrency and blockchain in our And we didn't set out to you know be a blockchain it's, cryptocurrency yeah, destination at all. People just started submitting more, and then once there's a viral story, it's a feedback loop, and then people want to be like them, and they'll submit more blockchain stories. So if you write a viral story on your site, you will get more submissions that are related to that topic. So we have 7,000 um, writers. 200,000 daily readers for and for the past two and a half years we've been publishing every single day we have about 50 submissions to our site inbound submissions and we publish about 20 a day so we have a library of 25,000 posts that we can learn from now you talk about attention and feedback loop we value long-form posts and the posts that actually perform the best on Hacker Noon is not breaking news you know it's, it's not like our similar sites like a 
the next web. We don't web want to break news. We, 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 we want to have expertise. It's, we it's, want the smartest people in tech publishing why they're making what they're making and why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah, it's the opinions, uh, first-hand opinions of uh, leaders in tech. This is our crowdfunding announcement. See that cat? That's what drives all of our success. <laughs> right there. The internet loves cats. If you take anything away from this session, <laughs> cats. But back to also the question of focus. I held out longer than Ling to kill or you know wind down the other sites. I still thought like for longer that these 15 other sites we should keep growing and we should have a poetry site and we should have a travel site. But whenever you're threatened and you have to double down on what's working. And so you know we spun one out into its own business that's now owned by the editor of that site. So psiloveyou.xyz is the domain and that one, you know, it was like I kind of had to admit failure. Like, hey, we couldn't make a poetry site profitable. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> but, you know, Dan's still working at it and he has a Patreon page and it's growing, so I recommend you support him if you like poetry. It's called P.S. I Love You. <laughs> it's P.S. I Love You dot XYZ. Like, you know, like the end of the alphabet. <laughs> Online dating vocabulary. What you need to know. Do you guys have any questions for us or want us to uh, talk about something we've said? Would you guys say that your background in marketing and things like that was intricate for being able to actually represent your site not only as a blog site, but it seems almost like with your own brand, which means that you to represent what you want to represent expertise-wise? Like, uh, do you think that can set you aside from other sites and just had a, a, an abundance of information and being post like, a great user? Uh, it definitely helped. I mean, Ling, before this, she was head of marketing for a university called Minerva that raised $100 million to disrupt education. Um, well, it was head of marketing in Asia, and I uh, helped in marketing. Uh, I was with a company called Smart Recruiters that went from about 5 to 150 people, and it was a lot of grassroots marketing and going through the funding rounds and stuff. So that definitely helped, and it helps in terms of building a brand, but educate, also educating your people and communicating your story. Uh, but I think more important than that is the internet and thinking about how the internet works. I think that's been more instrumental to our success. You know, how do we just keep wanting the experts to publish on our site? You know, and thinking about more like setting your own metrics, you know, and saying, hey, we want to improve the Alexa ranking of the site. How do we get more high quality link backs? Who do we partner with? Where do we publish on our site? Where do they publish on their site? And how do we create winning relationships where we're both gaining value? That those type of things that like, hey, I only have to click two buttons each time. I trust you're a top contributor and you can come here and we're gonna help you out in that way. And it's not something where like we each have to spend little time, but we both gain. So more trying to find relationships like that, I think are more important in growing the site. Like you, any site you look like, what is it that they're doing that's just rinse and repeat? And finding that spot where like they're either bringing a lot of content in or they're surfacing a type of good that everybody wants. Um, you know, Facebook, every single thing was about getting you to 10 friends in the onboarding experience. You'd go, you forget it because you've been on it so long, but like that, everything they do in the beginning is get to 10 friends, then your news feed will be filled, then you have people to message, then you have this emotional connection. So uh, I think thinking about why a site po is popular or an app is popular is more important to our success than marketing and also just like sheer willpower. Like we did get offers to buy the company, they were below market rate, but it would have been easy to just take the cash and walk away. 
and not not do fights. And so it's like if you want your own thing, it's just like you just keep doing it over and over again. And eventually, you know, you've done it for 30 days. The 31st day will be great. The 32nd day will suck. Then you have to do it for another 60 days. Then the 61st day will be amazing. And the 62nd day will suck. So there's like a reality of just grind it. Like don't. And I, I don't mean like overwork yourself, but like just know that the obstacles are only a day, you know, and know that like the, tomorrow will be a new day and that obstacle won't be as bad. Or maybe it'll be worse than the day after it'll be better. <laughs> on the topic of the attention economy, you know, I saw on one of your, I think it might have been on one of the investing information pages, you, you were measuring the amount of time that readers are spending on the site. I mean, what kind of information are you getting from Medium? What are the ways that you're kind of being encouraged by the platform to use that information to optimize what you're doing? What are you optimizing for? We actually talked uh, in the comments on our you know, crowdfunding page this morning about what are the stats that are most important to a publication like ours. Someone says that, oh, how many Medium followers you have is one of the stats, and we strongly disagree with that. You wouldn't judge a person's Facebook post by the number of friends they have. Similarly, you shouldn't judge the story by the number of medium followers you have on whatever site, right? It should be, the merit should be the story and the story itself. So I think the yeah. most important start stat should be minutes reading. So the how many did people... did a good job of popularizing this. You yeah. know, like you have to give them credit, like before them, a lot of people did think in page views. Now a page view is cheap. You know, why does a slideshow exist? It exists because that person's metric is page views. So instead of having one page view when you go to look at those 10 celebrity lists, they get 10 page views. And that person did a great job. And he's applauded. He comes into the marketing meeting, he's like, we 10 x our page views. It's like, what's, what's that mean? <laughs> like, it's the same amount of time on site, and you made the user <laughs> click the button 10 times. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, time reading, we, we want to take it a step further. We want to put it front and center. You, like, instead of Twitter and Medium where it says followers, we want to say, how much time reading did you create? You maybe you did one post, and people spent, you know, if, if it takes five minutes to read, and 100 people read it, that's 500 minutes of reading. That's six hours. But with or your sponsorship model, you're not directly monetizing that time. No, no, not at all. No. But it, by serving the contributor and optimizing for quality content, we're serving the sponsor. So it's the sponsor is always second, even though they may think they're first. If there's nothing else first, there's no sponsor to exist. A sponsor can't exist without something to sponsor. So like quality uh, it should be you know your, your first metric. Yeah, in the t attention economy, what we optimize for is the quality of the story. That's it. Like the merit of the story how many people you know share it how many people think that it's 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 um, useful and helpful for them yeah with reading it's it's clear like if you finish the book it's a good book and that's a lot of time reading and that's a metric of quality if you read the first 10 pages and you were like i don't want to continue the quality is bad so it's like think about dividing the book by one blog post you know if you look at two posts each of them for 30 seconds that's worse than you reading one post for 3 minutes I'd rather have you get one post that you actually gain value from and leave my site. Hey hackers, do you have a timely tech story you want to get published? Maybe you recognize the way certain systems trend, affecting our everyday lives, or have a vision of the future for the blockchain technology. Maybe you're on the field of play and know what it takes to make a great team, or how to remain agile in today's competitive, tech-rich environment. Share your expertise with the community at large on Hacker Noon. Email us, stories at hackernoon.com, and a real human will review your submission.
cool thing, for instance, about something like the Amazon Kindle is that now it's possible for a company to know, a publisher and a bookseller to know whether you're actually finishing the books <laughs> you're buying. Um, tell us a bit, too, about, about the experience of building a startup while uh, in the context of a family. It's tough. Um, she's the CEO. <laughs> I never sleep. <laughs> no, but it's a beautiful thing at the same time, you know, like every single hour we spend uh, on the business, we also know that it's going to go towards the family because this is basically just a mom and pop shop, <laughs> it's, um, the two of us. And well, we're raising you know, money to not just be a mom and pop shop. Yeah. More like mom, pop and friends. <laughs> <laughs> and... I guess we have a meaning in what we do, so it's what drives us every day. We know that people want to read more. We know that there are people rallying behind us when we are threatened by an external third party. It's things like that that keep us going. Being a family is, you know, we understand each other. We, um, you know, other businesses, you have to set up meetings. You have to take some time to kind of like get into the groups with your coworkers, your partners. Here, we already know that we have that deep level of, of understanding um, of each other, that, you know, we can solve problems, we can talk about our business strategies, you know, during our grocery shopping trips or something like that. I like that integration. Yeah, and we get to see her grow up more. Uh, so we have a co-working one-room office, and we work out of our house. So, you know, Nora's around, she goes to daycare two to three days a week, and the other days she's just chilling with us. And, you know, she's now learned what the phone is, which is a questionable thing, and sees us on the computer, which is like its own, you know, challenges. But, like, at this age, you're never going to get the time back. You know, once she turns one, you can't go back and see her crawl again. It was so depressing to see her stop crawling. It's like, you're so proud that I'm walking, but, like, man, crawling was pretty cool. <laughs> so, like, I hopefully, you know, I think as the future of work, I'm very keen on remote work. I think the more specialized your skills get, the easier it is to create demand, get clients, or get a job and be remote. The next three jobs we're hiring for are all remote, and our plan is once a quarter to go to the location all together, spend about a week together working, then go away for three months and go back to our own place. And that's, um, it, it's the power of the internet, and like, you, you can optimize for different things when you think about your career. And the idea of living where you want to live is a powerful thing. And you, I think if you live where you want to live and you create your own good routine, you'll work better than if you have to spend 45 minutes driving further to the office or walking around or you have a coworker you don't like working next to or it's an open uh, space and they're taking calls all the time and you're like, I literally just want to write, like, shut up. So, like, I think, like, creating your own space is, is a very powerful thing and, like, I wish I was where you are now in terms of like the opportunities that are available for remote work and thinking about working from anywhere and you know, you can literally just message any client and be like, or any company you like and if they're small and you're like, I just want to help in this way, you know, they'll, like, they'll be responsive. You know, they, like people are starting to get it more and it's been, uh, I'm very thankful, you know, that we, it takes work to set up but I'm very thankful for it and I'm very uh, optimistic about the future of remote work. And as for me as a working mom, I think one of the best things about being a mom and an entrepreneur is 
you can choose whether and how much and to what extent you can dedicate your time into either of those roles. With traditional jobs, you need to fight for that time away, you know, and you either have to choose to leave work or you have to choose to send your kids to daycare at, at an early age. And as for me, I don't have to do either. I do want to be both and I am able to do both because I choose my work and I choose my mom responsibility. But don't kid yourself. It's like, if you think building a startup is hard, this is like a startup 2x. You know, the baby takes way more than a business. And like right now, like my mom, who lives 10 minutes away from me, was going to come with us, babysit for yesterday's event and today. And then our other friend gets sick and she has to drive him to a procedure in Denver. And we're calling, he's giving us babysitter recommendations. We're texting them like crazy on Tuesday night while trying to reply to these investor comments on the page. And it's like, you know, hopefully you work with people. Nathan's like, yeah, just bring her in. It's fine. <laughs> Any other questions? Talk about places, because you've made a, an unusual choice to work out of a place that is not Silicon Valley, basically, right? Or Boulder or something like that. Yeah. You know, why did you make that decision? What are the costs and benefits of, of that choice? You, you know, it's funny. A lot of people ask that. Our traffic and our... Uh, basically, business focus just doubled whenever we moved away from the hustle and bustle of the, of the city. And then I think there's something to be said about that. You know, the allure of Silicon Valley or having a, a bunch of meetings and having a lot of connections and networking events might lure you into thinking that it's more opportunities. But, you know, the more time you spend networking, it's, it's more time you spend not working on your actual business problems at hand. So whenever we move away from it, we realize that we, we see clarity in the work that we do. And we do travel now and then, you know, we here in Boulder yeah, today. I, I used to take a lot of meetings, and then since I moved, I don't take more than two meetings a day. If you want to meet with me, it should be important, and I'm going to focus on it, and it's going to be important. But you're not going to hijack my day. I, I have a lot of stuff to do, and I used to just take too many meetings. Like, there's nothing wrong with saying no. Like, no, I don't want to meet you today. Maybe next week. <laughs> like, saying no is a very powerful thing that, like, in early in your career, you're going to want to say yes a lot. And it, yes does open a lot of opportunities, but no, no is the opportunity cost. It opens a lot of opportunities the other way. And, I mean, we actually moved to Colorado because we had family there, and we wanted the support in raising our daughter and being in fresh air. And I did. Live, we did used to live in San Francisco. I lived there for six years, and I think it's one of the best cities for young professionals. And like, if you're considering it, it's awesome. Like you, like I, I don't. Our site wouldn't be as big as today if we didn't live there, because we met tons of people that then are willing to help grow this thing. Uh, so it's um, it's just trade-offs, you know. And in the time that you make the trade-offs, you just want to understand why you make that choice. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We've got to wrap up. Thanks for bringing Nora. <laughs> This has been a special episode of the Hacker Noon Podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and YouTube, and be sure to follow us on social media. You can also find us at hackernoon.com and podcast.hackernoon.com. Until the next time, thanks for tuning in.